Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your co-host, Stephen Spector, and with me, as usual, Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Hello, Stephen. So, Rob, uh, you know, last time we talked, you weren't feeling well, and, and so I just want to check in, make sure you're feeling better. I, I know am, this I am on my feet, doing fine. But well, that's that's uh, good news. This is rolling. Our, this will go out of probably about three or four weeks after we record it. We're with all the, everyone at home looking for things to do. We're getting busy with people asking for podcasts, and of course, I am excited again today because we have one of my favorite guests ever, Simon Crosby, who is the CTO of Swim AI. And many of you who've listened to our podcast know you can always expect great stuff from Simon. So, Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Stephen and Rob, and it's great to be here. You are my favorite hosts ever. <laughs> Look at uh, <laughs> you say that to all the hosts. I'm no, I, I don't. <laughs> you guys are so much fun. <laughs> so, so Simon, let's uh, talk about you know where Swim is up to right now, and then we'll flow yeah. through to see what you're thinking these days. Gosh, you know, I don't know when we were last on here, but um, you know the. The interesting thing is what is happening with all this edge data? Uh, what is the market and who are the vendors, right? And I think that's a fun conversation to have anyway. What Swim has done is completed a tour, I would say, of a shitty market, which is, sorry, you can bleep me out later, um, which is IoT. I don't think of that as a market. Um, Lauren, do I think of the component-wise market as being valid? So, for example, I spoke to some analysts recently who were talking about the edge AI market. I don't think that exists. You know, um, there definitely is a market for chips, for things that the edge, to do things close to the edge. But it's a very vertically sensitive market, and people are building vertically sensitive applications. Um, but in general, in terms of general capabilities to process tons of data from the edge, it turns out that most of it is being done in the cloud, which is rather anachronistic. Um, and uh, so we have to deal with that. Some that that kind of con- I don't know that conflict, I guess. Um, and it kind of comes comes around to this idea that the edge is not really a place in terms of where to run stuff. Rob might be seeing some of that too. Yeah, I, so I want to, there's a couple of things I want to, I want to decompose and then I want to come back in a, a little bit and, and definitely make sure we get a swim update. Cause we, it's been, I think almost a year since we, we had yeah. you on. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's dig in on this question. Cause I'm, I want to make sure I understand there's a camp of people um, and we've had plenty of them on this podcast who believe that there's going to be an edge, an infrastructure edge, which is yeah. basically mini data centers. Um, I won't say clouds, but mini data centers in proximity to edge workload areas. Um, you know, so you're, you model, you, you talk in the past a lot about traffic intersections and things like that. And so the, the, the edge infrastructure um, premise would be that every, intersection has, you know, a couple of servers acting as a data center cluster for sharing resources for it. What, what you sound like you just said is, no, 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 the devices at that intersection are going to be, you know, advanced chips with their own AI models on them, and they're just going to send the data upstream to uh, a cloud infrastructure, some type of shared multi-tenant infrastructure, and not worry about, you know, any local 
um, no aggregation point. Not quite. Okay. <laughs> so the further out you get from the cloud, the lower the skill set, the more people are vertically centered on outcomes. So they care about a faster thing or a better thing. And the less they care about tech. Okay. So if you're a vendor of stuff and we happen to be a software vendor of, you know, um, streaming analysis software, they really couldn't give a hoot. But if you're going to serve them, they have a very specific application need. And so you end up doing a ton of vertically integrated uh, work. So you end up writing an app for them. And so um, that's problematic if you are a vendor and you're achieving, you want to achieve scale by repeatedly saying the same thing. You tend to end up like more like an integrator. And so if you look at that market, you end up looking at folks like C3.ai. And C3 kind of had, had the same idea, I guess, that they could sell the same thing repeatedly. They're an integrator. Okay, and there are a ton of integrators out there like, all the big guys are out there doing cool things. Um, and that's fine. It's just not a, um, a venture addressable market where you seek to sell the same thing lots of times fast, right? To achieve rapid growth. And there was an interesting blog from Martin Casado at, um, at Andreessen Horowitz in which he pointed out that companies in the AI segment in general tend to have PS at about 50% of their revenue. That is, their margins are lower than, than traditional software companies which could sell lots and lots of databases. So, but we should break, I wanna, I wanna stop you for a second and, and describe why that's a problem for the edge. Because, right, this is, sort of the mythology, it's not mythology, I think it's fact for, um, you know, the software industry is that if you are, you know, there's this huge gulf between consulting oriented companies and product oriented companies. Yeah. And if you're a consulting oriented company, then what that typically means, and this is, um, you know, we made a comment in the, in the pre-show about OpenStack, right? OpenStack never got into a product. It was always very consulting oriented. It's one of the challenges for it. And that meant that every installation was bespoke. It always required a lot of time and people to manage. It was very hard to achieve a scale, a scale factor. So you're, but that's, you're not what, that's not what Maratis would tell you, right? Or would they? Uh, well, their founder left. That tells me something. <laughs> Sorry to be so blunt on that. No, no, no. I, I mean, okay. Marantis was fundamentally a, a services company. And, and one of the, yeah. I, I don't want to turn into an open sector. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not, but, but the, the challenge with open source projects um, in general, especially community, very yeah, community, lots of they it. do have a tendency to say monetize through consulting, not through productization. Yes. Um, and, and, but the problem here is that in edge where you're talking about thousands or tens of thousands, like, I mean, you're talking about, inter, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going back to this analogy because I think it's really good is the soft is, you know, intersections. You're talking about millions, tens of millions of, of, of sites, and you, those can't be custom, they can't even be custom per municipality, right? You need something that becomes a turnkey solution, right? Yeah, which we have, that's not a problem. That is, but where does the 
software run is really interesting, right? Um, so let's be very clear. This notion I'm going to have AI on my edge gateway from Dell, say, you know, it's bullshit because of the following thing. For security reasons, the thing that is sending data is going to send data in TLS encrypted form. And my edge gateway at best gets smooth packet. Okay, it does not get to look inside. So the place where you get to do interesting stuff at my level, which is, you know, build, build, deliver an app, which is going to analyze stuff at scale, you know, the data has to be decrypted. Right. Where's that going to be? Okay, it's the first reasonable computer on the path uh, from the data source. And, you know, that ain't my edge gateway. So I think in terms of, by the way, there will be a, a category of solutions at the edge which have advanced analytics in them. There will be probably from you know, Siemens and you know, ABB and so on. There will be better engines and better drives and better machinery which can learn and do better stuff in their place, right? Where the data is locally available and they can do wonderful things and there will be definitely um, ML and AI things in my next car. But that isn't quite the, the same category as the stuff we're talking about. Does that make sense? It does. I guess, you know, I always look at, and, and this, this to me is one of the things I, I hear you saying is that the solutions are so vertically integrated that we're not sharing data at the edge. We have to trombone it back to the cloud. Yeah, so to, to somewhere near, somewhere near the cloud. And this is why Ericsson mm -hmm. Gravity was, you know, uh, it, it is a big hope, right? Or at least a server near the data if you want, um, if you want to avoid huge costs in moving large amounts of data or right. you want a real-time response which is related to the essentially the latency of transmission of the, of the data from the edge to the cloud. Okay, right. so getting compute near the data is a very good thing to do. But um, do we have the skill sets to do that? Do organizations have the skill set to do that? It's not clear. You know, I think if just completely, but by, by analogy, what VMware has done with Tenzu you know, into integrating Kubernetes into the hypervisor and everything else is wonderful. Right. But the VMware admin still just needs vCenter. Okay. Well, but so they can tell they manage and maintain a cluster in that site. So right, I mean, cool, having, but, having but, any type of Kubernetes is, is, is not actually solving your, you know, no, no. you would no. put a, a Tanzu cluster or any Kubernetes cluster at your, your traffic intersection? And no, no, what I'm saying is, uh, sorry, Rob, I took you too far there. Okay. What VMware has done is they have packaged the latest tech, but they haven't changed the skill set requirement for the guy who does it, <laughs> which is still a, the original VMware administrator. But the sure. tech, forget Kubernetes in, in our uh, use case here, in general, for a large scaled application, you're going to need to run somewhere 
um, do you have the skill set to get somebody to run the thing, you know, at scale somewhere? Probably not. Um, what skill set do they have? It's a good question. You know, often you have folks who are, you know, just administrators of traditional old style 90s, early thousands cell IT infrastructure, and they just don't know how to deal with cloud. Moreover, in every single use case, um, there is something which, some part of an application which has to be uh, developed specifically for the customer. Do they have a kind of cloud native technology stack skill set? Mm, not so much. Right? Yeah, I, and that's very problematic. So this is this is part of the challenge, right? I mean, so let me let me see if I understand what you're what you're talking, what you're saying, and and because if we just throw Kubernetes at what you know, and let's just let's let's be specific, and it might make things easier. I'm like, all right, we're going to write everything for Kubernetes. Yay, decision made. World move on. Uh, I don't think that's true, but we'll we'll use it as an assumption. <laughs> and um, and so from that perspective, you're like, all right, so we've got these applications of Kubernetes. Who's going to manage them? Who's going to maintain them? How are where are they going to live? Yeah, I don't think any of those questions are well answered. And the fact that Kubernetes is going to take you know any amount of admin makes it really not a good remote management infrastructure. But we have this problem Look, with everything. If anybody at the edge has to self-administering right now, to the extent that right. you need it to be. If anybody has to be able to learn how to spell Kubernetes, then you're going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I'm, I'm looking more at what it takes to troubleshoot, sustain, um, protect a Kubernetes application, right? I'm, I'm trying to troubleshoot some, some stuff for edge lab, uh, right now. And you know, some things work and some things don't because I don't know yet. It's, you know, and it's, it's not a trivial environment. So if I'm thinking about how I'm going to maintain and, you know, a thousand edge sites and I'm going to rely on yeah. Kubernetes and all those sites, I, it's hard. It's going to make me nervous, right? Exactly. So, so there are all these real-world constraints which make delivery of um, new solutions just uh, just very hard. And I think that we, you know, we all grew up with the Silicon Valley tech tech first mindset, and right. we would just develop we just deliver to IT organizations, and they would deploy it, right? And but that isn't once you get up into the specific uses of a technology, you're in application land and you have to work for real humans who have real outcomes, depending on this, which generally means you have to shape your solution to their needs. Okay. And you're responsible for making work. And that's just very hard, very, very challenging. Anyway, so, you know, it turns out that for us, the edge is the cloud. That is, the data is most accessible to us when it hits the cloud. And I see other okay. vendors have experiences too. So if you look at, um, if you look at the folks behind uh, Kafka um, and you know, Confluence, so what they've done is they've developed this thing called Confluent Cloud and everybody has hosted Kafka anyway, all the cloud guys, essentially, the thesis is that data is going into these big 
broker systems from the edge. So somehow at the edge, you figure out how to send your data into a broker um, using Kafka. And behind this will sit the app, right? It will subscribe to your broker and um, do whatever it does. And so for our largest customer, that's how we started out. Um, we're now, you know, we are our largest customer. Um, we're posting close to a gigabyte per second. And um, that's on a, on a big distributed set of, of instances. Um, and it's in the cloud. Okay. So, so the data is generated at a local edge site. It's processed through Swim AI. Uh, no, no, the data actually, we, we get the data from their Kafka cluster. <laughs> oh, okay. In the cloud? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so I see that organizations are facing the need to process lots of data and that they're saying, okay, what's the best way to do this? Okay, cool. We have to haul it back to the cloud in some format and they use Avro or they just send events, you know, into the Kafka infrastructure as some JSON payload. And then we sit in the back of this and we get it, right? And so a common use for SWIM is as a stream processor for Kafka or Pulsar or Apache Beam or something like that. And so a stream processor in that language has a very specific meaning. We consume events in real time from the broker. We do processing, whatever analysis, whatever it happens to be, and we publish insights back to the broker for other applications in the enterprise. And they subscribe to the broker to get those insights in real time. Those could be UIs, they could be other apps of some sort, which are triggered by the insights that we generate. It's interesting, but I mean, at, at, at that point, you really aren't, it's, it's not edge. That's almost a cloud, you know, stream analysis application, right? Your, your scale and your, your footprint and the data sharing is, is already, it's already aggregated from that perspective. So my, my definition of edge, um, is broad. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, I don't have COVID-19, unfortunately, just allergies. Um, my definition of edge is really that edge processing is the first processing applied to raw data from, the, from sources and edge processing can run anywhere. That is, edge is not so much a place as in a location next to a you know, cell tower or um, a regional data center or whatever. It's wherever you get to get your fingers on the bits and you are the first um, to get your fingers on the bits and do some analysis. That is, it's a broader definition, right? Interesting, okay. Well, I have a question on that, Simon. So if, but if you have to move the data from the edge to process it somewhere, doesn't some data have to get run at that edge? Isn't that part of what the edge was about? 
So mm -hmm. something, something is producing data. And I think there are two use cases fundamentally. One is that the something is fixed. Okay, well, some scalar plant or some infrastructure, like traffic infrastructure or something. I know where it is. I know the network where the data is coming from. And I can put a thing right there, which is going to reduce the data and it'll format it or something, but I can do it on that network or close to it, right? The other is that the edge is mobile and God knows where the widget is, but the data is coming at me over the internet. Okay, because I don't know where the widget is. I don't know what network it's on. It can be running even between base stations on a mobile device, right? On a mobile network. So, um, in the first way, you know there are, where there's a physical network, then um, you can be close to base station or you can be close to the source of the data. And I think there are interesting opportunities there in the 5G case. Um, in the case where it's my phone or something like that, goodness me, your best hope is to be somewhere in the cloud where the data is coming at you over the internet. I guess, I mean, part of what, and, and I know some of this comes from, you know, Swim AI being very digital twinning focused. I mean, is, is part of the idea here is that when you're talking about these edge environments, there's a lot of, you know, mapping back to what actually is going on from that perspective. I, I'm, I'm trying to, you're, you're challenging our, our sort of assumptions on what edge would look like and, and pulling data back. Yeah, actually, pulling, pulling data back. And, and I, I, just as a refresher, right, one of the things that, that you said that I found very profound in, in one of our early discussions was about reducing the cost for adding sensor and making analytics on sensor. That, that the thing that edge has to do is really redefine that cost model. Um, yes. And so, so if you're saying, hey, if I can add a sensor and not worry about having a gateway or an edge infrastructure, I can just say add a sensor and, and then it starts streaming into, you know, some more traditional cloud data center. Is that where you're getting to with this? this that we don't, we don't need as much um, tiering, I guess? Well, I, I think overall the cost model has to include the cost of um, getting the infrastructure to the widget, which is going for the network, which is going to send data to the application, right? And getting somebody to manage it through its life cycle and everything else, right? Now, in the case of the original industrial IoT world. Um, there was a chap at AVB in Switzerland who said to me, yeah, we get it. You know, we're good engineers and we'll put ML in the box because we sell big drives which hoist miners up and down mine shafts in the middle of Africa and nobody will be there to maintain the thing for five years. Okay. And in a sense, he said it perfectly. He's dealing with a low skill set environment where the thing has just got to work. Okay. And it's got to work better because you always right. want to sell a better thing. Okay, cool. And so you get back to a higher skilled environment. Sure. I've dealt with the guy who said I want 10% better oil and gas thing me right? 
and you start dealing with him and his people just, well, actually what they do is what they, what they do today is something. Getting them to do something which is tempts them better is actually not really in, the, in their interests. The average employee just oh. wants to carry on. So if it requires them to send the head and learn Kubernetes, for example, just forget about it. <laughs> that, well, that's a non, I think that, that to me is the non-starter. I, I agree with you 100% on a lot of these challenges, although I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on the edge infrastructure side. Um, By the way, here's, here's another one for you, Rob. Yeah. You know, this failure prediction, which you see a lot from all the big guys, right? I'm trying to predict when a thing is going to fail in production line. Um, it turns out this, if you call Jerry back from lunch and the device was not going to fail, he gets really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have to bias your detectors and your predictors um, for very low false positives, which means that inevitably there will be some false negatives which means, oh God, you're going to carry on the way it was before. So the cost function is still, you know, you can't de deliver perfect. And <laughs> the problem yeah. with AI is that people have convinced themselves that AI is going to deliver perfection. It isn't. It's just a bit of statistics, right? So I, yeah, I have a totally different answer to that, that whole problem, which is give yourself and have the, the, the systems that we're building have to be have to have a human factors component that says, don't create an urgent crisis if you're doing predictive failure. You know, make you know, let it let it you know let that roll into the timeframes that that people can deal have with. Lunch. Um, have lunch. You know, get <laughs> get their first cup of coffee before they're yeah. swapping it out. Um, yeah. You know, you're not you don't want to ground a plane because em engine failure is imminent when imminent means in the next two weeks, right? Right, um, but you don't, right. I, I agree. And so what that says, you know, more work required. Okay, cool. I get it. Well, but, more human factors. This is, yeah. I think, if, if I'm correct, you and I are going to a very similar place, although I'm, I'm not ready to give up on the idea that, that edge infrastructure could be there. I, I agree with you that, that where you are is probably where, where the industry should, should realize we are. Um, which oh, is I have to recognize who's using these systems and who has to maintain these systems. And with coronavirus, it's even more. It's like you're never, you know, you have to plan to never send an IT tech on site. That's, yes. that's done. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you, you might not even have run. an IT tech available to do the troubleshooting. So it, it had better be drop in simple to make all this stuff work. Bingo. And self, self managing, right? So these systems have just got to run. And whilst I think Kubernetes is awesome, I don't know that I could spell it, but... Um, <laughs> Self-managing was not in the top, in the top 10 list of, of architectural <laughs> imperatives for Kubernetes. Exactly. Uh, I, I, will, I will go to the mat on that one. Um, it's great for developers, but yeah, this is, this is a challenge. And, and I, I, I strongly agree with you. And this is one of the things I think is exciting about SwimAI, about... Swim AI is, is being able to take data streams and put them into WebSockets and put them into standard metrics. Because what, what, what to me we're missing is, yeah, I need to be able to, to plug and go for you know, an IoT device, an edge infrastructure, you know, whatever, whatever tiering we have, if you can eliminate the edge infrastructure, 
Um, for now, I think that's great, but I, I want to get to a point where we can actually have different vertical stacks that share data inside of the, the, the cheap network, right? On the edge, on the edge networking interface, instead of having to trombone back. Cause what you just described to me is great for a single vertical device, but sucks. Device, I, have to, yeah. I have to cross connect information on site. That that's to me where no, we're no. Well, let's just talk about what data is, right? So, okay. I mean, we're dealing with, Let's see, 150 million digital twins, okay? Um, and that's a large number, um, and we have to get them from somewhere, we build them from, the, from raw data. The question is, what is data? Do you want the same raw data that I have? What do you want to use it for? Right, okay, I, I actually, I'm, I'm absolutely certain I don't, I don't want raw data. I'm, <laughs> that is, that right. is so what I, you, I want, I want pertinent, meaningful, timely data. Um, about what? About not a thing, about a thing in its context, okay? And some aims to deliver that. That is to deliver, so we think about digital twins, there, it's not about a single digital twin, it's about digital twin in its context. And so think about it as, for example, um, in a mobile carrier use case, it would be digital twins of the handsets connected to a particular base station. What's the connection quality, for example, or something like that, right? Um, and so the context always seems to be relevant. Um, it's not just the analysis mm -hmm. of a particular source, it's that the source and other sources around it or near it or related to it in some way. That contextual analysis seems to be really important in terms of the analysis of the edge in general, right? Yes, yes. Okay. All right, so the, and this is where your Kafka, putting, putting Swim AI at the end of the Kafka stream is actually helping re, recreate the contextual analysis. Yes, so we just get raw data from something, Kafka being a great way to do it, that is we're not really just about how, Mm -hmm. We then just get these raw events in real time and build digital twins. But build right. digital twins into a graph where their relatedness to other digital twins um, as given to us in the data um, becomes apparent. And so then the analysis can proceed in the context, in some rich context, right? So, so this is, I, what, what you're saying is super important for people to be considering for edge. And I, I, we don't have enough of these conversations is that because edge is tied into a physical environment, the physical world context is super important. Um, whether it's proximity or, you know, what other things are happening or what the environment is or the time, there's so much information that it's not just abstract you know, data center stuff. It's actually a physical world. So when you talk about digital twinning, and, and to me, this is so important. We talk about digital twinning. What we're saying is we're, we, we're putting data in, in context. That's what digital twinning is about, right? Yeah, okay. that's right. By the way, I'll, I'll give you a no-brainer example. And Swim does not do this, just to be clear. But digital twin of a mobile device could easily remember every other mobile device that it was within 
three feet off. Right. Okay. Hey, ho, now you have your COVID-19 transmission data. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, there are lots of uses of context which provide very detailed insights on the you know, potential of historical or predictive value. So we have to, yeah. Anyway, so to me, edge is always about context. That's an important distinction, I think, that we, we miss because we get very tied up into, oh, I want to build a Kubernetes cluster on the edge, or I want to put this thing on the edge or that thing on the edge. Ultimately, we're building, you know, systems that have to be aware of the environment they're in. Yeah, so let me give you a real world one. So we, um, we do a ton of work in the city of Dubai where we, you know, there's a monitor for every truck, every Uber, every taxi, whatever. They will have monitors in and they're mandated by the, uh, by the city. And so if a truck has had bad braking activity or bad cornering activity and it comes within 100 meters of a traffic inspector, then we tell the truck inspector who pulls the truck over and checks. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's real. Now, that requires rich contextual information, like where the hell is the inspector and where the hell is the truck and tracking it in real time and putting all that, fusing all that information together on the basis of these digital twins, right? Is a truck going to a band? Is a truck in a band area in the city where they want to keep traffic and would have traffic reduction rules, right? Um, are two trucks spending too much time close to each other because then goods could be making their way nefariously from one to the other? Okay. There's all sorts of those use cases which are related to contextual analysis, right? What's close to? Right, that makes sense. Right, those are real edge use cases, and there's a lot of data that you need to correlate to make an assessment for how those things should look and how they how they work. Yes, and so, by the way, the way you express that is really interesting. So you said there's data you need to correlate. Actually, it's easier in the, if you say, I'm a digital twin of a truck, and if I spend too long next to another truck, shout okay that way of thinking about the problem is easier because then i can imagine as a developer whatever how to write the code but going and accessing a database and saying find me all the trucks whatever that's hard i don't even know really know where to start so the assumed way of thinking about the world is essentially this that you Think about writing little bits of code as digital twins, as though you were the twin, the thing. Um, and then the world becomes dramatically simpler because context then is obvious. It's what's around me or what's in me or what do I contain or what's correlated, right? I'm thinking through the uses, use cases that I know you're, you're tracking. And, and there, there's an element where I'm just saying that sounds like an object-oriented programming model. Yes, where you're it saying is. it's an actor-oriented okay. model, actually, and the difference is that every object is also a concurrent thing. 
So it's also executing in absolutely parallel to you and doing its own thing, processing its own raw data from the edge, from, okay. from the source and representing its state. And then the key thing is what, what state do they share? That is, what, what state can I see about another track, right? So this notion of linkage is really important. And in Swim, a link is um, a notion of real-world relationship. And that is dynamically built from data based on geospatial or other constraints that we find in the data. So you might say near is a geospatial uh, constraint, and that's very simple. And so a program, which is, let's just say the city of Dubai wants to look for trucks near uh, inspectors, uh, the concept of near is actually quite sophisticated, but very simple for an application programmer in Dubai to specify if they just have some notion of nearness they can write in their program, then um, when two digital twins are near one another, then the alert fires, right? Great. So that's kind of what Swim provides. So I, I'm curious about this, and I know I know Stephen's looking over my shoulder with, with the stopwatch, but is you know, Swim was coming out with a dev kit. I remember you all had some, some resources that you were going to make public. Did that... Did that get launched? Oh, sure. Developer.swim.ai is um, where you want to go to get Swim. Okay. And there's a code there for... There's go. use cases that somebody would start off with, with sort of an, an easy bake. Yeah, everything um, we've done in traffic is there. Everything, a whole bunch of use cases, um, plus real-time UI tools. So you can write JavaScript uh, wrappings for delivery of real-time um, insights into UIs, any UI, uh, in, in the browser. Interesting. And okay. um, so, you, you know, you actually get to see the real-time state of a thing in the field. Um, and uh, so, yes, and that's going very well. So our, we're absolutely committed to developing first in open source. Interest for all the libraries and the con and the contents and things that, that click in. Yep. Cool. That sounds like something worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. So I recommend you go there. Well, Simon, thanks again for joining us. I am, um, as is typical. You were there with the, the stopwatch. <laughs> I was there, but as Simon, as is typical, I have to listen to these podcasts several times to fully understand what you say because you always challenge us, which is why I really enjoy them. The good thing for me is before podcasts go out, I do listen to them several times and hopefully understand it. Um, but again, I love it. I love your uh, take on things. It's so different than everyone else would say. So it's fantastic to have you on. Um, for listeners, I suggest you go over to swim.ai. I think that's right, Simon, the website. It's, it's swim.ai. Swim.ai, yes. Yes, yeah, Developer at Swimmer AI is where you want to go as a developer. Um, Swimmer AI is a website, but also if you want, there are a bunch of pointers on the site to cool running demonstrations. Yeah, it's, so I encourage everyone to go over there. Uh, thank you again for joining us today. Rob, thanks for uh, the questions. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. It's worth noting, uh, and Swim AI is uh, hosting their own podcast with Krish. So 
Um, they have interesting conversations over there. Um, it's always worth, including me. What's the, uh, where's their, oh, there it is. They do have a podcast. Let me give the uh, link here. Anchor.fm slash, 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 slash swim streams. And you can find their podcast. They probably get more people than we do, Rob. Although I noticed they're right around 30 minutes. So uh, I think we're, we're setting the industry standard. Clearly it's us. And uh, <laughs> very funny. Well, thanks again, guys. And I look forward to uh, talking soon.